Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode, Revenge in Plain Sight. They say revenge is sweet. I'll let you decide. On a cold January morning outside the Kaufman County Courthouse, Eric Williams executed Assistant District Attorney Mark Hassey. Eric's wife, Kim, drove the getaway car. Two months later, on the day before Easter, this pair slaughtered District Attorney Mike McClellan and his wife, Cynthia, in the foyer of their suburban home. Eric and Kim celebrated the murders with grilled steaks. It seemed that Eric's plan was to exact revenge on everyone who had wronged him. His intention? To keep killing until someone stopped him. Join me as I interview Catherine Casey, award-winning journalist and author of the book In Plain Sight, as she chronicles for us the terror, the trial, and her experience interviewing the killers. Well, welcome, Catherine. Well, thank you, Jim. Thanks for inviting me. So, Catherine, uh, tell my listeners a little about Kaufman, Texas. It's a, kind of a, a suburb of Dallas. It's southeast of the Dallas area, about a 25-minute drive into Dallas. So the uh, part of it, the part closest to Dallas, is very suburban. And the city of Kaufman, which is a little bit farther away, is very old town, little town, Texas. Uh, it's uh, kind of a quiet little burg. Now, did you become interested in this case while it was going on, or had it totally... Uh, come to its uh, conclusion, and we'll talk about what that actually entails, uh, before you really got into it. You know, I saw it on the nightly news. Uh, this was a case that made national headlines over a period of months. So I was following it on the news, and then I picked it up again down the road uh, when things started to break. Eric and Kim Williams are the murderers hiding in plain sight. Tell us first about Eric. Well, at the time that all of this happened, he was a prominent lawyer in Kaufman, Texas, in Kaufman County. He handled most of the uh, child uh, guardianship cases in the area and did, did a lot with family law. And he was, uh, had just won an election uh, and was the justice of the peace, um, you know, behind one of the benches in Kaufman. On May 13, 1998, two years after they met, Eric married Kim Johnson. What was their marriage like? Were they happy? They were both very smart, very personable, quirky senses of humor. Uh, she thought that he was just really going to go far, and he, he did. I mean, they were a real success story in the beginning, and they got along very well in the beginning. It started to go a little south when they both encountered some really major health issues. 
she had rheumatoid arthritis that developed within a year of the marriage, and Eric became uh, a, a diabetic uh, who was very hard to regulate. So there, there were a lot of health issues cropping up. They, uh, he had insurance, but then went and got the JP's job to get county insurance, which was better. So their lives were kind of changing over a period of time. That and Eric had uh, kind of grew disillusioned with the, with the marriage, and Kim believed at one point that he was having an affair. So things kind of fell apart, but they were still together, and she was very dependent on him. Uh, he took care of her. It seems to me from reading your book that Eric did not uh, suffer criticism very graciously. And clearly this contributed to his ultimately seeking revenge as the story unfolds. His own wife, according to a quote in your book, said, Eric does not play well with others unless they do what he wants. He, he was very thin-skinned and he did hold grudges. He uh, kind of looked for opportunities to strike out at people if he felt that they'd slighted him. Uh, but the event that started the downward spiral that ended in he and Kim committing murder was a petty theft of computer equipment from the county. Uh, is that right? He said, and has always maintained, that he took them for the good of the county. He was setting up a uh, computer video system to interact with the jail and wanted to show everybody in Kaufman County how they could do this. Uh, most of the counties in Texas had this at that point, but Kaufman didn't. Uh, and one of the computer monitors was on his desk at the courthouse. I mean, you know, and altogether it was $600. But Mike uh, McClelland uh, decided to go after Eric for it. And he and his fellow, one of his chief prosecutors, Mark Hasse, joined together and pretty much pilloried Eric over these three computer monitors. Clearly, Eric wasn't shy about getting in people's faces, even those on his side. Uh, you recount uh, an incident in, in your book where he was upset at a missed court filing by his own attorney and told said attorney that he, Eric, would, quote, kill him, his wife, his kids, and burn down his house, unquote. Everybody in town always thought that he was this really bizarre, kind of quirky guy. So when he'd say these things, they'd kind of stop and look at him and they'd go, well, you know, it's just Eric and shrug and go on. But I think I, I've always, my opinion of Eric is that he's kind of a, he was kind of a functioning sociopath. The tendencies were always there. Uh, Mike McClellan had a, and his wife, both, Cynthia, um, had a background in mental health, and they knew that they were that he was dangerous. They could tell. And uh, at one point, people advised Mike to lay off Eric because he was poking a uh, stick at a snake. But unfortunately, DA uh, Mike McClellan and Prosecutor Mark Hasse didn't back off, and they went after Eric hard. And that prosecution cost Eric dearly. Destroyed him. Uh, Mike Eric lost the JP's position. He lost uh, he lost his law license. He had no way to support himself. He was uh, on the Texas National Guard, which was something he loved, and he had a, 
a certificate as a law enforcement officer. All of that was gone. And the big thing was that he had this wife and they were both so ill and he lost his insurance. His health insurance was going away. So Eric hatches a plan to get his revenge on both Mike McClellan and Mark Hassey. Uh, Kim later recounted that, quote, Eric liked Westerns, and one of his favorites was Tombstone with the shootout at the OK Corral. One day he told me how he was going to kill Mark Hassey. He said it's going to be Fuck Sticks Tombstone. Now, I need to point out at this point that um, Eric's uh, nicknames for Mike and Mark were Sluggo and Fuckstick. Well, he had told uh, Kim that uh, this was going to be Mark Hassey's tombstone. And he was referring to the old movie uh, where they had the shooting at the OK Corral. So they waited. They uh, waited for Mark at the, in the parking lot near the courthouse. Uh, Eric had done some scouting and knew where Mark parked his truck. And he had Kim behind the wheel and he had dressed all in, in black like the characters in the movie did for the big shootout. And when Mark came in and parked, Mark was kind of a little guy, he wasn't a real big guy. He had a gun on him, he'd been carrying a gun for months, but he had on a winter coat because it was January and it was cold and it was buttoned and the gun was inside the coat. He got out of the truck and started walking across the parking lot. Uh, Eric got out of the car. Kim tried not to look. She didn't want to see. And Eric walked up to Mark, up to Mark Hassey, and I guess must have introduced himself. The witnesses heard was Mark saying, no, no, please don't, no, no, please don't. Kind of bumped into him. And then he started unloading the gun into Mark. And uh, actually, he had two guns with him. And as he, he emptied the first gun, and then as he walked away, he put a couple of shots, he just dispatched a couple of shots over his head and walked back to the car. And Mark was laying in the parking lot, at the entrance to the parking lot, uh, bleeding. And uh, Eric got in the car and told Kim not to drive too fast, and they drove away. Everything Eric did, he thought through and considered the possibilities. Everything he said to anyone served a purpose. It was all part of his plan. Kim Williams. And Eric did think everything through. I mean, he was truly a Mensa murderer. Um, he bought a beater car off Craigslist. He, he rented a storage unit under a friend's name to hide the murder vehicle until he could dispose of it. So at least at the outset, there really was nothing to tie Eric and Kim to the murder of Mark Hassey, was there? He was one of the suspects, but he was kind of hiding behind his lawyers. So they weren't able to get one-on-one -on -one with them and they didn't have any physical evidence that linked him. So there was a suspicion. At the same time, they went off on a lot of tangents. Uh, they were looking at the Aryan Brotherhood, and they were looking at the Mexican cartel, and there were FBI. I mean, there was a huge response. 
if you kill a district attorney, an assistant district attorney, uh, the FBI showed up, the Secret Service, Homeland Security, the Texas Rangers were there, Texas DPS was there, the county sheriff was there, uh, I mean, and the local police who were heading the investigation were there. So, I mean, there was this huge response, and they all kind of thought about Eric, but they couldn't really get to get there with him. Uh, but his friend and boss, District Attorney Mike McClellan, suspected Eric from the get-go, I believe. He was standing over the body on the autopsy table uh, within a few hours of, Eric, of uh, Mark's death. And he said, Eric Williams did this. Consistently, he tried to tell them. And he was afraid. I mean, and his, and, uh, his wife, Cynthia, told people, if I die, if, if Mike and I were shot, Eric Williams killed us. That's prophecy you don't want to see come true, but it does come true. What was the approximate uh, uh, time window between uh, Mark's uh, murder and the uh, McClellan's? It was two months, almost exactly two months. It was the Saturday morning before Easter that year. And uh, Cynthia had the table all set. She was having company the next day. Kids were coming over and some family friends. And she, she had Parkinson's disease. So it was taking her a long time to, to do things. So the kitchen was covered in flour from her baking. Uh, she was looking forward to a really good Easter. And uh, it was Saturday morning. It was early. Eric woke up Kim, and he was all set to go. Uh, they took care of their dogs and got in the car. And then they drove. They went and picked up the car they were using this time for the killing. And they drove it to the McClellan's quiet suburban neighborhood outside Kaufman. And she waited in the car. Eric was dressed as a SWAT officer and had an AR weapon on a sling hanging from his shoulder. And he went up to the door. There'd been guards guarding the McClellan house off and on. So it wouldn't have been unusual for a SWAT officer to come to their door. He went up and, and uh, rang the doorbell and Cynthia let him in. And he started shooting right in the entranceway. And he unloaded that AR. In, he was in the house for less than two minutes. And he got off 25 shots. And he killed, he just slaughtered Cynthia and Mike. Turned so, around, left, got back in the car. So Mike was, was nearby, I mean, was in proximity or might have been in another room? Out. Mike came out to, uh, I don't know if he was, some people think he was sitting in his big lounge chair in the living room. And he got up and went to run to one of the bedrooms uh, to get a gun. He had, Mike was a gun aficionado too. He had more than 100 guns in the house. And he was heading uh, somewhere to get a gun, but couldn't get there fast enough. And he fell in the uh, hallway in front of the secondary bedrooms in the house. Shot Cynthia one more time because she moaned. Had to kill her, make sure she was dead.
So Eric calmly gets back in the car with Kim and they drive home, leaving the grisly scene to be discovered later in the day by family members. And when they get home, they celebrate with grilled steaks. And the McClellans were not supposed to be the final revenge killing. Eric was just revving up. There's some on the back of the book, um, uh, which is, you know, chilling, that his intention to keep killing until someone found a way to stop him. He would have kept going with his he list. He was angry at the sheriff, so the sheriff was on the list. The district court judge he'd worked for, who had really mentored Eric, um, he was angry at him, so he was on the list. And one of the other uh, judges in Kaufman County uh, that he had a run-in with. So what... Was there one particular, um, now we're sort of fast forwarding a little bit to, you know, being caught, uh, uh, and, you know, being arrested. Was there, how, how soon after the uh, McClellans were killed, was there, you know, an official, an arrest or charge or grand jury or whatever for the Williams? It was a few weeks after that uh, one of the Texas Rangers and one of the chief deputy at the sheriff's office managed to talk their way into Eric's house. And they saw uh, gun paraphernalia that uh, got, allowed them to, he was a felon because of the first charge, and he, so he wasn't supposed to have any guns. And that allowed them to get a search warrant for the house. And they searched the house and they found multiple things in the house that connected to the killings. The big one, the real smoking gun, was that uh, there had been anonymous tips that had been phoned in the Crime Stoppers on the case that had inside information that only the killer would have known. And Crime Stoppers gave that caller uh, a specific number to use. And the Crime Stoppers number for that call was on Eric's computer, on a sticky note. So as I remember, he was, yeah, he kept up, he, you know, entertained himself in unemployment by following the case um, on the internet, both nationally and locally. And so you're saying actually participated, was he throwing people off or was he giving them little tidbits to see how close they could get on the Crime Stopper? He was uh, kind of throwing them off and he was flaunting things a little bit. Eric's incredibly bright. He, he, uh, uh, you know, he, he's a member of Mensa. He, he's a very bright man. And he was always one of those guys who thought he was the smartest guy in the room. So he was, uh, you know, he, he was having some fun with it, I think. You know, and, and thought that it was really a, a kind of a laugh to be able to send law enforcement off on a tangent. And you talk about him in the first person or in the current person. He is alive. Mm -hmm. uh, as is Kim. And I do want to talk about, I do want to now get to um, fascinating that you uh, at first were not, neither one of them, Kim or Eric, wanted to speak to anyone. And then uh, first, was it first Kim said they would, she would speak to you in prison? And then Eric or somewhere around that, both of them said, uh, so tell me where each of them are right now in their uh, adjudication. And uh, then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, your, your feelings of, of interviewing both. Well, uh, Kim is in uh, Gatesville, Texas, in one of the women's prisons up there. Uh, she got 40 years. 
and uh, she was uh, a witness at the trial and uh, you know testified against her husband really a powerful witness at the trial um, and Eric is on death row he's in the Polanski unit uh, which is in Livingston Texas and I think I don't think the date has been set yet uh, but usually it's about eight to nine years so I think it's about two to three years away at this point. In, in Gatesville, when I was interviewing Kim, I sat across a table from her and uh, we had a gardening room with us. And she was very upfront and answered every question. She became very remorseful. Uh, she cried quite often. She told me that she had repeatedly thought about how three people were dead because of her and because of Eric, and she was extremely angry with Eric. Once uh, she got in prison, and she was on really heavy drugs at the end, she was on morphine and some really strong drugs, so uh, she describes it at the end as really kind of a blur, a lot of it. And once she got in prison and they, they went cold turkey off the drugs, um, she realized what he had done and what they had done and what he had done to her, and she's not very angry with him. Uh, Eric still maintains that he didn't do it. He still says he's innocent, although there's really a lot of evidence in this case. Because uh, in addition to uh, the stuff they found in the house, they, they, I'm not sure whether the actual owner of the uh, unit, I mean, who signed for it, his friend, whether he tipped them, but uh, that they eventually got in that, that unit. And aside from more guns and stuff, I think there was bomb making material and stuff as well. Yeah, there was napalm, there was all kinds of stuff in there. There, there was a crossbow. Um, he, he had a kit set up he was going to use to kill the judge with. That was the napalm and the crossbow. Um, and there was a, also a bullet in there that had been chambered in the gun and had the markings on it of the, uh, uh, you know, high velocity ammunition that was used to kill the McClellans. So there's a lot of physical evidence. I went to the trial. It was in Rockwell, Texas. Uh, they moved it out of Kaufman because of all the publicity. Um, and it uh, was a packed courtroom. We, there were reporters there from all over the world. The woman who sat behind me was from Japan. So um, it got a lot of attention. It was just really it was such a tragic case. I mean, Cynthia, they, they tried Eric uh, for Cynthia's murder uh, and kept the other ones in reserve. So if they hadn't gotten the death penalty, they could have gone back and tried him on one of those. Cynthia was really an innocent victim. She she had had nothing to do with Eric. She had done nothing to. She was uh, Eric told Kim that she was just collateral damage. So uh, it was really a heartbreaking trial seeing the families there. And now he obviously, I'm guessing, did not take the stand in his own defense. Is that correct? No, he did not. No. But she testified. What was that like? You know, they held her back until they had enough to get the guilty verdict and they held her back before until sentencing. So there was a lot of anticipation in the courtroom when she got on the stand. 
and she was very good at the stand. She, she just laid everything out and it matched the physical evidence. Like she described what Eric said he was going to do to Judge Ashworth, uh, that he was going to kill him with a crossbow, then cut him open and put the napalm inside of him into his abdomen. And in the storage unit that they found that was filled with guns and ammunition and everything else, they found the bag with the crossbow hanging over it and the napalm inside. So there was a lot of physical evidence that corroborated what she said on the stand. Um, in, in, the, in your interview with, with uh, Eric, you did obviously talk about, you know, that he is under a death penalty sentence. What was his thoughts or feelings about that? No big concern, no no fears if when it comes, it comes. And I mean, yeah, you know. There, there were days, I mean, I, I was there, as I said, nine times between the two of them. And then we wrote for, I think, about two years. I was writing both of them. And there were times when he seemed, uh, he would show up for the interviews and he was sweaty and he was anxious. And there were other times when he was very cool and very calm. So, um, it, but when the death penalty came up, he, he, at times he looked angry. And at other times he said, you know, it really doesn't serve a purpose. I haven't met anybody in here who deserves to die. It, it's just, and, and one, at one point he sent me a quote from Mother Teresa, and it was something like, it was never between you and them anyway. It was always between you and God. So it was almost as if he was saying he was comfortable with what he had done. And uh, only God could really judge. Well, we all have opinions on the death penalty for and against. But to me, it's hard not to see it justified for Eric in this case. He didn't sneak up on his victims and kill them with stealth. He looked them in the eyes and wanted them to know it was him who was killing them. This was really personal with Eric. He wanted them to know who was doing this. He wanted them to understand why they were dying. And he wanted to look them in the eye when they died. So he did that with all three of those victims. I mean, this wasn't, he. this is not like a sniper who's hiding in a building and shooting somebody that's, you know, across the block. This was somebody, he got right in their faces and shot them. If I may ask you a personal question, Catherine, I think we can both agree that this is a particularly troubling case and that you were not in, involved at a distance. What kind of emotional toll did it take on you personally? Well, you know, I started out working for magazines. Um, and so I did that for a long time and I was covering sensational murder cases for magazines. So the books just kind of evolved out of that. So it's been a gradual journey over the years. And I have 11 of the true crime books now. And I bet I've covered 20 or 25 murder cases. And I always go to the trials and I always interview everybody. And I always do what I did. In the, I, I interviewed about 100, 100 people for this book. Um, I always do that. And it is, it can be very upsetting. I mean, it's really difficult to sit in the living room of a, a victim's family and have them talk about what the murder did to them. Because there are ripples that come out, repercussions that just spread from these cases that are so sad. Uh, you know, Cynthia always wanted a grandchild. She was a quilter and she 
she every year made a, a quilt for, uh, you know, to sell at this uh, event. And it was always a baby quilt. And she now has three granddaughters that she never saw. So there, you know, it, there's a lot of sadness involved in it. And it's very difficult. I mean, I've gone into prisons and interviewed serial killers and all kinds of killers. It's very difficult to sit there and talk to them and know what they've done and not have it, you know, just kind of, it's very upsetting. It's a very upsetting thing to do. Well, thank you. I mean, that's honest. Well, this has been a, a fascinating uh, interview. It's a fascinating book. Uh, it's a, as you, as you have so eloquently said, a very sad, sad case for everyone involved, not just the victims and the victims' families. So I want to thank uh, Catherine Casey, uh, the author of the book In Plain Sight, which of course is available everywhere. She is also the author of many other books, which I'm going to pick up half a dozen of, and I'm going to be back to her, whether she knows it or not to do some more. Um, so you do also, the probably the best thing is you do have a website, which off the inside here is www.katherinecasey, that's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, all one word, dot com. So again, I want to thank you so much, uh, Catherine, for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Some final thoughts. Throughout this journey, Kim Williams has troubled me. It was clear, based on her illness and other factors, that she was very influenced by Eric. But I still find it hard to understand how someone can participate in the murders of three innocent human souls based only on a marriage contract. Catherine did point out during our interview, that there really was no love lost between Kim and the victims. She blamed them for her lot. She is quoted as saying, Eric's anger was my anger. It was Mark Hassey's and Mike McClellan's fault. They've done this to us. And Eric, well, he summed up his thoughts about being on death row by simply saying, you know, in the end, it's really all about revenge. Thank you for listening to another episode of Murder Most Foul. If you enjoyed today's segment, please tell your friends. The podcast is available on all your favorite platforms, and you can leave me comments via my email at my website, which is www.murdermostfoul, all one word, dot com. In the meantime, stay safe. And for the love of God, don't murder anyone.